As the days wore on, the so-called Freedom Flotilla burgeoned. By April 29th, another 1,700 vessels crammed into Mariel Harbor, awaiting the processing of thousands of refugees. This was a very erroneous policy of the Carter administration to consider everyone who wanted to leave Cuba for the United States as a heroic dissident, said Cuban Vice President Carlos Rafael Rodriguez. The United States is now paying the consequences. By May, Immigration and Naturalization Service, INS officials, pleaded in vain for more workers to process the new arrivals. When a tugboat arrived in Key West on May 7th, packed with 600 refugees, there was only life-saving equipment for a third of the passengers. No U.S. official complained about the numbers arriving or expressed concern about the capability of local communities to absorb them. In mid-May, Carter announced that no further arrivals from Mariel would be accepted, but Castro ignored him. At gunpoint, Cuban officials ordered one vessel's crew to take on 354 refugees with only 80 life jackets aboard. Carter called up 600 Coast Guard reservists, but instead of intercepting boats and turning them back, they again spent their time saving people at sea and towing dangerously overcrowded boats to a safe Florida port. When Castro finally closed Mariel on September 26th, more than 125,000 Cubans had flooded into South Florida. The first stop for the refugees was one of two sprawling tent cities, one in the parking lot of Miami's Orange Bowl Stadium, and the other under the shadow of an elevated stretch of Interstate 95. To avoid generous resettlement financing, the INS denied the Marielitos refugee status, instead creating a special category for them. INS officials photographed and fingerprinted every arriving Cuban and issued flimsy IDs with no picture. Counterfeit Mariel IDs were soon on sale in Little Havana, and as the refugees were processed and released, almost 20,000 chose Miami Beach as their new home. The word was out. The cheapest housing in all of Florida was the dilapidated waterfront property south of 6th Street, a neighborhood that Miami Beach's government had set aside to be raised and redeveloped. The federal government rented blocks of dirt-cheap, run-down apartments for the newcomers. Almost none of them spoke English. In a town of 85,000 residents, two-thirds Jewish, and less than 10% Hispanic, the Marialitos changed the demographics overnight. Joining them were thousands of Haitians. Correctly gambling that the U.S. Coast Guard overstretched, they could avoid being intercepted at sea. An estimated 35,000 Haitians made the grueling 600-mile journey to Miami, packed aboard hundreds of barely seaworthy vessels in what local politicians dubbed the Poor Man's Marielle. Scores of Haitians drowned off South Florida's shores, often in view of tourists.
U.S. Customs established a special unit to retrieve bodies that washed ashore on the beaches. But the risks were worth it to escape a country with one of the world's lowest per capita incomes, $260, and an oppressive dictator, Jean-Claude Baby Duck Duvalier. A popular exile saying was, the teeth of the sharks are sweeter than Duvalier's hell. In Miami's Little Haiti, there was a sharp increase in fires attributed to all-night voodoo services, complete with candles and burnt sacrifices meant to help the newcomers arrive safely. Florida's Governor Bob Graham pleaded in vain with the federal government to resettle or deport the Haitians. Over 1,000 were crammed into Dade County's Chrome Avenue North Detention Center, designed for no more than 530 people.